Welcome to episode 189 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we are looking at The Lone Gunman, Season 1, Episode 4, Like Water for Octane. This originally aired on Sunday, March 18th. The IMDb user score is a 7.6 out of 10. And again, the action is predominantly in Maryland. They don't do quite so much traveling in this series. Now, looking at those release dates, this came out only two days after Ina Kleina Frohiki. And that's because X-Files was in that Sunday time slot, so to get people used to watching The Lone Gunman, those first two episodes were in that Sunday slot that the X-Files used to occupy. And then starting with Ina Kleina Frohiki, they had it in the Friday slot, and it'll continue in the Fridays after this. This is the final Sunday episode of The Lone Gunman. They were just trying to make sure that the X-Files audience had a chance to check out the spin-off before the X-Files returned on April 1st. So in this one, Byers is making yet another attempt to get information from the Freedom of Information Act office, and he is requesting all sorts of information that digs right into conspiracy nuts. Who shot JFK? missing 18 minutes from the Richard Nixon tapes, and so forth. This time he's told one of his requests has actually gone through, so he takes home a rather heavy file box. He gets it all the way home before he opens it and realizes it's just a cinder block, although there is one document stash underneath that they don't notice. At least not initially. Jimmy pulls it out. He's told repeatedly by Frohiki it's junk, shred it, it's junk, shred it, and then he comments on a name as he's putting it in the shredder, which twigs Frohiki's interest. This is a lead towards a missing water-powered car, which Frohiki had a chance to ride in as a child. And so the lone gunmen are off on this path. This is a pretty nice episode for Jimmy. He is still not treated as someone of any or particular intelligence. That's made clear in his opening monologue when he talks about things like the Chinese bombing Pearl Harbor, Gandhi leading the Indians, or as we now call them, Native Americans, a lot of things like that. So he's definitely playing into the dumb guy tropes in a lot of ways, but he's also the one that says, yeah, something's screwy here. It was super lucky that this document showed up in this box when it matters so badly to Frohiki. And when they get to the farm, he's going, wait, 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 how could you possibly have known we were coming? There's something screwy here. So it is showing he's got some good instincts. And he ends up saving the day at the, the end of the climax. Essentially, as they're going through, we discover that Eva Del Harlow set up that document to be planted in the box because she knows how much Frohiki cares about the car. And she was doing her own investigation, as she'd been hired to do by an employee of the oil companies. So she's planning to get the lone gunman to do a lot of that legwork and then walk away with all the cash. As they're going through, they find out that, yeah, things are much more dangerous than they thought. Her employer ended up killing the clerk at the Freedom of Information Act office that buyers had been visiting. They find out that there's some betrayals and backstabbing amongst the people that they're going to for the car. And eventually they do manage to stop the oil company guy from stealing the car, thanks to Jimmy making a cow kick him. They narrowly avert death by escaping 
a silo right before it's going to be blown up. It's a missile silo. And when they get their hands on the car, they keep Stan Miser's intentions, realizing that, yes, this would be a boon in some ways, but he felt it would curse the planet and many others. So they chose not to reveal it to the world and completely throw things out of whack until the world was ready for the technology. So it's an interesting episode. It's got a few moments. It said it, it does develop Jimmy a little bit more, so he makes some active and useful contributions to the team. Now, on the production end, it was directed by Richard Compton. We've discussed his work before. He's already directed two episodes of The X-Files, namely Invocation and Medusa. And this is his first of two Lone Gunman directing credits. Now, it was written by Colin Friesen. This is not just his first work for 1013 in either Lone Gunman or The X-Files. It is his only job for them, as far as I can tell, and it's his first writing credit of any kind on the IMDb. He's got a total of nine credits to his name, including Sorry for Your Loss, his most recent work in 2018, as well as The Big White, The Con Artist, and NGO. He's also been story editor for 13 episodes of Schitt's Creek, only nine, episodes, or nine credits as a writer total. When we get to the guest cast, Shireen Mitchell plays Shelley Miser. We've seen her in the X-Files before. She was Billy Lapierre in Zion and Zeit before. This is his first of two appearances on The Lone Gunman. Timothy Weber is another one that we've discussed before. It's his only appearance on The Lone Gunman, but he did make three appearances in the X-Files playing Detective Talbot in Tombs, Jess Harold in Our Town, and Dr. Paul Faraday in Quagmire. Now, this is Mark Valley's first work for 1013. It's his only appearance on the X-Files, but he's got 69 acting credits to his name dating back to some soap operas from the late 1980s. He is best known for playing Brad Chase in Boston Legal, Superman in Batman the Dark Knight Returns, the animated version, Christopher Chance, the lead character in Human Target, which is what I know him from best, and Detective Eddie Arlette in Keen Eddie. So he is still working today with his most recent credits showing as being in pre-production. Now this is Michael Eklund's first of two appearances in The Lone Gunman. He's the Freedom of Information clerk. We will see him again in The Captain Toby Show. Prior to this, he'd appeared in Dark Angel, The Outer Limits. His filmography on the IMDb has a lot of guest stars including two episodes of Smallville, guest roles, I should say, rather than guest stars, plus appearances on Arrow, Bates Motel, Continuum, Wyatt Earp. He is best known for playing Michael Foster in The Call, Jeffrey Burton in Heirs of the Human Body, Edward Moybridge in Edward, and Bobby in The Divide. I wasn't aware that there was a movie about Edward Moybridge. He was fundamental and instrumental in creating modern movie technology. Now, from here, we're getting into some of the child actors, some of which are fairly impressive here. We've got Eric Poppissel. He plays young Langley here, and he's actually going to play young Langley or young Ringo twice in the series. He will come back again in The Lone Gunman. This is one of his last credits for this. His final credit is from 2013, in, or 2003, sorry, Stella Luna. But he had done voice work in 40 episodes of the RoboCop cartoon at this point. 
He started doing voice work in the mid-90s. His first credit of any kind is Other Women's Children as Alexander Stewart. That's a TV movie from 1993. He is best known for The Lone Gunman, for playing young Rudolph in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the animated movie, Cody in First Wave, and Small Son in Unforgettable. Gordy Giroux has nine acting credits to his name. This is about halfway through the list. He plays young Frohickey, and all of his credits go between 1997 and 2005. Most of them are not terribly prominent projects, so we've got a few other names to get through, so we'll just speed along here. Matthew Munn seems to have built a short career around playing young versions of other characters. So this is his first role, playing young buyers. He would go on for a total of five acting credits in the IMDb, playing young Martin in Shadow Realm, a different young Martin in Night Visions, the young Lex Luthor in the pilot and episode Lineage on Smallville, and the 12-year-old Huff in the pilot episode of Huff. Now, Billy Mitchell has a few more credits to his name. He's actually got 26 in total, starting with Broken Badges. He plays the farmer in Like Water for Octane, as well as an MC in Maximum Buyers. So he's got two roles on The Lone Gunman here. He was also the Jay Garrick Flash in Smallville, Warren Clayton in an episode of Psych, Tom Kennedy in The Bouquet, and a senator in an episode of Stargate SG-1. Jay Kirby has three acting credits to his name. He plays the football player in Like Water for Octane here. Stottlemyre in an episode of The Sausage Factory called Zack's Little Problem. And former jock number two in the pilot of Smallville. Lauren Kennedy has five acting credits to her name. She plays the pigtail girl here. This was her debut. She'd go on to play other roles in Still Life, Cold Squad, Snow White, and Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, where she played young Velma. Ben Libiter has three acting credits to his name, Freckleface Boy here. He would go on to Special Unit 2 and The Chris Isaac Show. Caitlin Ducharme has three acting credits to her name. This is her final credit as the Snooty Girl. She had previously played Rosie in Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County and Little Girl in Saving Silverman. And then our final credit is for Danny McKinnon. He's got 41 acting credits to his name. Here he plays the Towhead Boy. His career started as a voice actor in cartoons in 1989 in Euroiden Samurai Trooper Gaiden, or Gaiden, I'm never sure how to pronounce that, and then a lot of other dubbing for what appeared to be anime series. He's also in Reboot as Enzo00, What About Mimi, X-Men Evolution, where he plays Leech. In Ayusha, Zoids Fusors, Dragon Tales. Most recently, he played Scooty in Finley the Fire Engine in 2007. So that's about it for this one. It doesn't add a lot to the ongoing mythology, but with the spin-off show, that's not really surprising. They weren't trying to really build a huge mythology here. It was, at this point, more about establishing the characters and the dynamic and figuring out how the new show was going to work. So we have now covered the first four episodes of The Lone Gunman. We will cover the first six before we return to the X-Files, going through things in broadcast order. So join us again in two weeks' time for Three Men and a Smoking Diaper, Episode 5 of The Lone Gunman. Thank you for listening.